Hello and welcome along to Visions from Stone, podcast number three. I'm delighted to have you listening here again. And yes, I've reached the grand old age of three, my third podcast. And well, for a while I thought it would never actually get aired, this one, because the interview I have coming up with uh, Jason Grachanik was probably in about the middle of June and we're now in July and uh, I've kind of been sitting on it for a while just because I've, I've been so busy with other things and I've not really had a chance to pull the episode together and get it published. Uh, so that's point noted for the next time. I'd, I'd kind of thought that these podcasts I could get out every month and uh, although it started with great intentions, it's never kind of turned out to be that way. So I think in the future, they're just going to come out as and when. Uh, just with me trying to fit everything else in that I do, my own work, and I've got a lot, lot of other things I do as well. So it's just a, logistics can be quite difficult sometimes for me. So, um, so yeah, so Jason is um, really knowledgeable, really knowledgeable about all things plant medicine. And he's uh, coming up, he's going to share some of his knowledge in the interview about what plants can help us. Uh, how we can uh, spot those plants and what these plants can do for us uh, as humans and how we can interact with them and how we can connect with them. So he's really knowledgeable. He's uh, originally from, from I think it's New York City he's from and uh, I met him in Peru when I was over there in 2019 and he, he was organising a retreat in Ireland uh, just before I met him for this podcast and he had a few days to spare in uh, in Edinburgh so I met up with him and the idea for the podcast was to have an interview at a stone circle and that hasn't happened in this episode so we met at the glamorous location of outside a Chinese restaurant <laughs> so it's not exactly uh, any stone element in it Although I did have my uh, my stone crystals, uh, my crystals are in my pocket, so that's maybe one link you could say to uh, to visions from stone. I think uh, yeah, I've just been so busy just this past little while. Uh, I've finished organising my my first workshop, my first event of the year. Uh, that was at the start of July, and that was uh, really really good. Really enjoyed that really excited uh, for it and the people who came along really enjoyed the teachings and the uh, the day was wonderful, the venue was great and everything, just a perfect day so I was really excited about that and uh, I've got another one coming up, the same workshop coming up in the su Sunday the 7th of August which is coming up very shortly so I've still got a few spaces left in that. So if you are listening to this and you fancy coming along, then please get in touch with me. It's kind of spurred my interest a little bit to do future teachings, um, probably towards the end of this year. It does take a lot of work of organising and uh, yeah, so it's uh, it takes up a lot of time, but uh, it's really exciting. I really enjoy doing them. So it's kind of made me think, let's let's do more 
and uh, so yeah so stay tuned for that i'll post details on all the social media channels and i'll uh, uh, be on my website as well so great so without any further ado i suppose uh let's hear from jason i hope you really enjoy it and as usual if you've got any comments uh please let me know i'd be delighted to hear what you think of the episode and if you're listening to it on youtube then do all the usual like and share that'd be great and uh share on your social media for all your friends to listen to as well i'd be really grateful so uh so here's jason thank you So welcome to my third podcast. I've got a very special guest here with me today, um, Jason Karanchek. Gracianek. Gracianek. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd get it wrong first time. But welcome to Jason. Um, I first met Jason 2019 at the Temple of the Way of Light in Peru, which is a retreat, uh, an ayahuasca retreat. And uh, we, uh, ayahuasca was there on the menu uh, that day, and uh, for the two weeks that I was there. And Jason was one of the facilitators at the retreat, and he's over in a flying visit to Scotland. And uh, I thought I'd catch him for a quick uh, chat. Uh, so welcome, Jason, along to my podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Great, yeah. So maybe you would like to start just by explaining a little bit who you are and and your journey up until now? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, first, thanks for having me. It's uh, It's been a long time. It, it's nice to, to be here in Scotland and, and be shown around and uh, kind of see things through through a local person's eyes. But what, what brought me to, to Scotland was actually, I was in um, I was in Ireland for about three weeks uh, running a plant medicine retreat. And so that's really that's really been my work. Where where we met at the, the Temple of the Way of Light in, in Peru, which is a, and it's usually described as an ayahuasca healing center, but but really it's a, I think it's a plant medicine center. Ayahuasca is kind of the, the catalyst of what they're working with, but they're it's really working with the, the pharmacopoeia of medicine in, in the Amazon jungle and um, working in a in a tradition that, that really looks at plants and uh, it's really a science of healing a, a traditional science of healing through through again plants through through song through beliefs through cosmovisions through words through uh, through touch uh, in many different ways and um, so that's that's really been my work ever since I was quite young I, I had an interest in religion spirituality shamanism and, and plants uh, and especially plants as medicine and, and that led me eventually to go down to the Amazon and, and to really work in a different way I think a, a way that, that could maybe be described as more shamanic like an, an experiential way of working with plants and uh, a lot of my understanding working with plants prior to that was kind of more in an allopathic system like if there's an ailment, then using a specific plant to treat that ailment. Um, but I, I realized, at least for me, there, there was a piece missing in that. Um, it was very much working on the physical level and, and to some degree the mental-emotional level. But 
kind of in this shamanic worldview, looking at things also from this other level, which they would call the level of spirit. Um, and that was something I felt I could really only find in these shamanic cultures that, that still had that way of working. So yeah, that brought me to the Amazon where, where we met uh, doing mm -hmm. this work. Lovely, thank you. You mentioned there growing up, but was there any specific part of growing up? Was there any plant or was there anything, any uh, tree or any specific species that, that grabbed you first of all that made you think, well, there must be something in this? Interestingly, kind of coming full circle, probably tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, one, I, I grew up in the U.S. I grew up in a state called Virginia, which was very well known for tobacco. So it was always kind of in my realm of consciousness or my awareness. Um, even my grandparents' house was a tobacco farm. Um, they weren't growing tobacco, but when they had bought the land, it, the, the previous owners were tobacco growers. And, uh, and I also had a real fascination and, and reverence for a lot of the, the Native American cultures. And uh, certainly one of the, the plants that was used by, by many Native Americans was tobacco. Um, and so I think from an early age, I, I realized there was some connection between this plant and tradition and spirituality. It was a little strange because I remember, for example, my father smoked cigarettes and I hated it. I mean, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand the smell. I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it was always, it was also interesting uh, kind of realizing that, that something wasn't adding up because on the one hand, I couldn't stand cigarettes and yet on the other hand, there's this real reverence for this plant and it was used in ritual and mythology and Even traveling, I remember going to some countries or parts of the U.S. and, and like going to a tobacco barn and, and actually being almost like intoxicated by the smell. There was mm. something, or like pipe shops, and uh, just being very drawn to the smell. It was there, there was something almost alluring, or just something in that smell that really awakened something in me. It may sound kind of strange, but. Um, yeah, I would say it was probably tobacco. And then interestingly, when I really started studying plants, that wasn't a plant that was kind of on my radar at all. It was all, at least from where I was living, kind of North American, East Coast plants, and, uh, learning the medicinal qualities of them. Uh, and then at a certain point, uh, ayahuasca really started coming to me. Uh, and I think it's an experience that some people will maybe relate to is this idea that, that the plant really started calling me in a way. Um, and, and then that's what eventually brought me down to the Amazon was to go really quite deep into that, 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 that medicine of ayahuasca. And then that also, going back full circle, it also led me to begin working with tobacco again from this more like shamanic perspective. Mm -hmm. When I first heard the word ayahuasca, um, I didn't hadn't a clue what it was about, didn't know, never heard of the term before and that started me on a process of, of learning um, and finding out what that word meant to not just one person but a multitude of people 
and then that, like you said, it was a calling. Um, it was uh, something, it was an energy that held me, and I realised that I need to learn more and, and do something about this this energy. So that's when I looked and found the Temple of the Way of Light, and, and that's like you said earlier. It's not just solely focused on, on ayahuasca. I remember when I was there, I was uh, amazed at the, the array of cocktail of drinks that they have. Uh, not not alcoholic, but you, you know, uh, chichuasi uh, uh, is what's been one of them, and all that has such a an, an overall effect on yourself uh, when you're in that space at the temple, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Well, the the idea is is really that. I mean, much like a, maybe Western herbalism, that, that plants have a tremendous power to heal, that they are a medicine. Uh, so certain plants can be prescribed for for physical ailments, uh, like, like chuchuasi is a, is a very good physical tonic. Uh, there can be plants that are prescribed, maybe we could say more for like a mental, emotional things, like there's a... There's a plant in Shipibo, which is the group of people that, that we were working with. Um, they, they have a plant that's called Tantirao, and, and they would say it's, it's a calming plant. So they would say like when the mind is very active, or there's trauma, or the mind is scattered, this plant really helps to, to kind of calm the mind. So it, it also helps like with anxiety, which... Obviously, there, there's a physical manifestation of that, but there's also a, a mental, emotional uh, root. I think one of the interesting things in a lot of these shamanic lineages is they would say, I think we in the West often look primarily at the physical ailments. Uh, more and more, I think we're realizing that there's a there's a, an emotional component, a psychological component to that. But even in kind of our cosmovision, we, we separate those two fields. There's there's like allopathic medicine, there's there's physical medicine, and then there's psychiatric medicine. So you would go to a medical doctor to treat what would be considered a medical issue, <laughs> and you would go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist to treat what would be considered a, a mental or emotional issue. Uh, and, and I think more now in the West, there's a greater understanding that those two are connected, kind of this idea of the mind-body connection. I think even most like Western allopathic doctors would accept that that's true. Um, but from this more shamanic point of view, there's a third component, which they would call the, the realm of spirit, and that actually they would say that that's primary. And when something is out of balance there, uh, one is going to develop certain mental emotional disorders and when one's mind is not aligned or imbalanced then physical manifestations are going to appear and that's not to say you know like if i'm walking on the street and i get hit by a bus and my leg is broken in half that that's a, a spiritual issue although there could be some component of like yeah. <laughs> you know maybe, maybe you need to focus a little bit more but uh but what we're really talking about is are like chronic ailments things that are with us that, that aren't acute, that, that don't just happen, they, they're, they're building over time. Uh, and so a plant like ayahuasca is really able to take us into what would be described as that realm of spirit and, and seeing uh, where the roots of a lot of these ailments are originating from. 
and, and that's a very that's a very kind of unique way of of working which you know as you and I were talking about yesterday it's probably at the root of, of all tradition around the world uh, but a lot of these traditions have been lost or forgotten or persecuted and so I think it's a way of, of kind of rediscovering them it can be quite a confusing term for many people, ayahuasca. And I remember, and I'd like if you could recount this for, for the listeners, um, when, when you explained the ayahuasca at the very start of, of our retreat, it was a lovely story about the, the, the two together. Um, it was a, and it was the mythical story of how ayahuasca met uh, the male and the female together. Would you be able to recount that? Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, probably a lot of people, I mean, I think even some people who work with ayahuasca don't realize uh, that, that ayahuasca is a brew. And, and so it's not just a plant. That there's, there's a preparation to it. And uh, different people, different cultures, different, different groups of people have different ways of preparing the medicine. The word ayahuasca, it, it, in terms of the plant, it refers to a vine, uh, and it's it's a vine that you find in the Amazon, and uh, usually it's it, a piece of the vine is cut. It, it's it's kind of uh, can't think of the English word like uh, machete. No, when you when you pound it. Uh, oh, like a. Like when you have a pestle and mortar, yeah, exactly. And yeah. you make it into a, like a paste or a smaller yeah. granules, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So you would you would break it down usually like with a wooden mallet, and, and then you would cook it. And it, there are some groups of people who just work with ayahuasca. They they just work with the vine, and uh, often the, like you you would drink very large amounts of it, and it can be a very strong purgative. Uh, it has what could be described as psychotropic compounds within it, uh, parma alkaloids, I mean, um, ayahuasca when it was first discovered, I, I think uh, one of the original names for it was uh, telepathy, mm. um, because there was this idea that it, it, it worked in these kind of more telepathic ways of, of beyond the five senses. Uh, but I would say the, the majority of the, the way most people are working with ayahuasca when they're working with ayahuasca is a, is a mixture of plants. And the, the most basic mixture, the, the one that's most commonly worked with, is, is two plants. It's the, the ayahuasca vine and a, a plant that, that in Spanish is, is usually called chicruna. Although there, there's a couple other plants that, that can be used as well, but that's by far the most common. And so, for example, the, the Shipibo have a they, they have a lot of uh, Spanish leyendas, like myths, uh, stories about the origin. But the the most common one that I've heard, uh, which is the, the one that I, I recounted when mm. when you were there, was was this idea, which I think is really beautiful, which is that. Uh, the ayahuasca brew uh, originally, and I could go into a lot of detail. I'll try and keep it short, but yeah. but it has some really interesting themes uh, because one there, 
when you talk to a lot of indigenous people in the Amazon, there's this idea that the Amazon was cultivated. It's not just like a random chaotic jungle. That that it was it was in a way put there by man. Like mm. so, ayahuasca. It, it's not just growing randomly on trees. It was planted there by someone. And so that kind of goes back to this mythology that um, there was a there was a man and a woman living in the jungle. Um, also. Just to kind of backtrack, another really interesting note, and I think we were talking a little bit about this yesterday too, is it was always seen that the Amazon was this kind of pristine forest. It was just hunter-gatherer people in there, and you know you could argue that the cutting of, down of the the rainforest is, mm. is maybe not the best thing. But one of the interesting things that's being discovered as they they cut down the rainforest mm. is they're beginning to see that there were indeed very large uh, cities and civilizations in the, in the Amazon which would also lend to this idea that, that it was like there there were humans there who were cultivating it. Mm -hmm. um, but so this idea that there, there was a, a man and a woman living in the jungle and they were quite connected to, to, to medicine to, to the spirits of the forest and uh, uh, the, the, the father the husband he uh, he had this premonition that he was going to die, and, and when he died, he he asked his family to to place his body at the base of this tree, which which wasn't a common like death rite. So they they honored his wish, and, and then some time passed, and the mother also had a premonition that she was going to die, and uh, she asked her her um, her children. Uh, there's a couple of versions, but but to to. To place her body either next to this plant or in the center of a maloka, which is kind of the, the ceremonial house. I've heard two two versions. So the the children also honored her wish, and then the three children went off to live with some distant relatives, and, and they they came back many years later, um, and from the spot where they had put the father's body was this vine growing up this tree, and from the spot where they had placed the mother was this beautiful bush, this beautiful plant growing out of the ground. And they received this information through this, uh, through this dream space or shamanic space that, that they needed to combine these two plants. And so they did that, and that was the beginning of, of what's called ayahuasca. Um, you know, that's also interesting because it, it kind of has some of this, this Christian archetype in it too, of, of like the, the Christ consciousness comes from... Mm from the, the body and blood of, of, of man in a way. Um, and the sacrament that, that's actually consumed. Uh, and uh, it's also very fascinating because it's... Uh, so it, ayahuasca is, is, a, is a Quechua word, uh, which is the most commonly spoken language in, in especially Peru, but, but a lot of the Andean regions. Uh, behind Spanish. So it's kind of become like a lingua franca. And, and the word ayahuasca in Quechua means vine of the soul or vine of the dead. Um, and in Spanish now they use that word ayahuasca. Really? Okay. But it's a little confusing because again ayahuasca refers to the vine but mm. it also refers to the brew. And in and, and a lot of uh, like indigenous languages it's maybe a little bit easier so like for example in Shipibo the, the word for the brew is uni 
the word for the ayahuasca vine is uh, nishi, and the word for the the chikuna plant is kawa. So they 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 distinguish those those three things. Uh, interestingly, like uni, what that would often be translated to is is like knowledge, or I think more in a Western idea, this idea of gnosis. So that's what ayahuasca is. It's gnosis. Um, and so also that story is interesting because it's sometimes people it's very interesting I find how many people refer to ayahuasca as like a mother or a feminine energy mm. or the grandmother and I think in a way that's that's maybe more of something that outsiders have put onto it <laughs> And, and I think there is a reason. I think as an archetype, maybe it embodies more of these feminine qualities. Of, there's a ceremony, it's done at, at night. There's often this symbology of like a serpent and water and, and mystery and kind of a dance and emotional. So sometimes mm -hmm. those may have more feminine qualities. But what that story is also pointing to is that that gnosis, uni, the ayahuasca, is actually the joining of the opposites. It's the, the combination of, of masculine and feminine mm. into wholeness, into, mm. into true knowledge. Mm. And so that it, it embodies both of those archetypal qualities. And they would say that the true crew in a plant, the feminine, is that which gives the light. Uh, it's that which gives the vision. And they would say the masculine quality, the ayahuasca vine, is uh, that which gives the effect, mm. like that which holds the space, that which allows the chakuna to work. Mm. So yeah, that, that's kind of the, the story. Wonderful, thank you. And just as you're speaking there, I kind of had a thought, a flashback, to um, one of the experiences I had um, I think that there was a, a big emphasis uh, on hearing that ayahuasca was more feminine, just like you you you're saying. And in one of the experiences I had, and um, maybe about my seventh ceremony, I think it was, um, it was a, it was a, it was more just a being. There was no um, definitive male or female. It was just a presence. Um, and I think I was kind of thinking beforehand it would be female from what I've heard and what I had heard. And it wasn't necessarily a disappointment, but it was just an acceptance of it was a being. Um, and so, yeah, you're quite right. That could well be the people who have this preconceived idea of male or female and have to label a specific gender. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's why also we, usually it's it's really recommended that, that one tries to, in a way, not have expectation. The, the more you, you, I mean, it's kind of like life. The, the, if you're expecting something, then one, you can be disappointed if that doesn't happen. But two, you're already beginning to impose something from the outside. And, it, you know, often like with a with plants in general, but definitely with ayahuasca, there's this idea of plant intelligence. And, and to some people that may sound like a kind of a strange or foreign concept, but, but one of the things that, one of the ways in which any of these plants like ayahuasca work is, is they, they work on each individual 
as uniquely as that individual hits. And so it's going to speak to you in a language that you understand. It's going to, it's going to come to you in images that you understand. It's going to come to you in, in meanings that are significant for you, that, that would not necessarily have any significance for someone else. But you know, it's very personal in that way. It's, uh, and that's that, that idea of the intelligence, that it's working with you in a way that's, that's just completely unique to you. And, and this idea that that intelligence is, is so perfect you know, for you, mm. and, and the intelligence is going to be perfect for me. But, but I think sometimes, you know, in a way, when people hear about things, then, then they're like imposing someone else's worldview or someone else's language or, or cosmovision onto their experience. And it's just, in general, it's not going to be like that. But interestingly, it could be like that. <laughs> you know, if that's how we want something to come to us, then, then it may come to us in that way. I mean, there, there's a fascinating woman. I think her name is Elizabeth Koibler Ross. I don't know if you've heard of her. She, no, no. Uh, I think she was an English woman. Uh, maybe she was American. Actually, she was American, actually. Mm, okay. um, but uh, she was one of the early pioneers of, of uh, working with people who were dying, uh, and it, you know she would often say that people who went through this death experience, but then they, they came back, always they would describe it in a language that was their cosmovision. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so someone who was deeply Christian and went through that death and dying experience would say Christ came to them. Someone who was Catholic would say Mary came to them. Someone uh, who was maybe an atheist would say that the, the white light came to them. Mm. You know, someone who was, uh, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen this working with ayahuasca. Uh, Indian people will come down and they're spoken to through whatever their view is, whether that's Krishna or Shiva mm. or, you know, these ideas of Maya. So it's, you know, it's very personal in that way. So, um, yeah. And of course, it's not just ayahuasca that you work with, it's many different plants, uh, like you explained earlier to me. You're going to, you've been to a retreat in, uh, hosting a retreat in, in Dublin, in Ireland, and you explained that you're going to next to Israel. Is it ayahuasca there, or what sort of plants? Is it all sorts of plants? So I don't, I don't work with... Um with ayahuasca on my own, um, it's something I just, I haven't really felt called to. I think part is, I've been fortunate enough to, to work with some really amazing people, predominantly the Shipibo people, um, and uh, I think they have a real, a real knowledge and mastery, and so even in the jungle, most of my work is, is kind of this role of facilitating or bridge keeping. Kind of acting as a medium uh, which is actually I think a very important thing because uh, you know th there's an interesting kind of prophecy indigenous prophecy of this time that that this actually is the time of, of like bridge keepers of, uh, in, in this, this one culture I have a lot of respect for the, the tubu of the the Colombian Amazon mm -hmm. uh, they, they call it the time of the Dirdawamasa, the children of the new dawn, the people who can 
bridge the medicine of the four directions to create a, a new maloka, a new earth. Mm. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, for me, the, the, the Shipibo have a, a really beautiful knowledge of ayahuasca, so often if, if I'm working with that, I'm collaborating with them. Um, but the, the work I do on my own was, uh, was a long process that I, I started studying uh, with another teacher of mine who predominantly works with uh, doing dietas, which is one of the kind of the traditional ways that Shipibo also work with dietas of how to experientially learn from plants through, through ingesting, you know, through going into isolation, fasting. Uh, mainly, mainly I'm working with trees, with tree bars. Um, and the medium, uh, in, in, like for example, ayahuasca could be used as a medium to go deeply into a dieta, to, to learn from a plant. To, mm. They would say like to open the vision, to allow one to when one is ingesting the plant to, to not only kind of feel it but to, to to see it and not just with the eyes but but with one's being um, but there are other plants that, that are considered master or teacher plants and ayahuasca is one of them and also in the Amazon another uh, I mean probably traditionally the most widely used master plant was actually tobacco so through the medium of ingesting tobacco, not, not necessarily through smoking it, but ingesting it as a liquid like you would most, most plant remedies, uh, that that's the medium that, that opens one to begin to learn more deeply from plants. So the work I'm, I'm doing in Ireland and going to Israel, going to New York, is, uh, and, and the work I'm doing in Peru is, is working with plants through the medium of tobacco. Yeah, and predominantly through this through this process, which is called a, a dieta. Great. So just kind of finishing up, um, I'm conscious maybe that there'll be a lot of listeners thinking, oh, well, that sounds great. How can it really help me? Is there any, say, three or half a dozen or, or a number of plants that you could suggest that could help um, people that may be listening, uh, that they could easily take at home and maybe easily find? Um, in in the UK or mail order or what would you suggest if somebody wanted to look look, look a bit further into that? Well, I think uh, like one of the things that's really started to resonate with me, as I was saying, was was this idea of like bridge keeping, of really beginning to to bring all of these medicines together. Because even in this indigenous worldview, that there is a very clear understanding that every direction had its medicine. So wherever you are, they're also honoring the, the four directions, whether that's like the water element, the fire element, the air element. Um, or in a more worldview, like the medicine of the north, what that entails, the medicine of the east, the medicine of the west, the medicine of the south. Uh, so I think like bridging these concepts, like uh, even as we were talking about I think what I found is really inspiring is taking these these very experiential ways of working with plants and then beginning to work with the plants wherever one is at. Because all over the world there's so much medicine. I mean, it was, it was amazing being in Ireland and, and just seeing people through this traditional Amazonian way of working with plants, but working with European plants, mm. really beginning to 
to in a way like rediscover their roots, discover the power of this this medicine that, that's all around them. I mean, just showing up in Ireland was was incredible. There's just there's so much medicine mm. everywhere. You know, nettles and dandelions and oaks and you uh, and hawthorn and elder. I mean, just countless medicine mm. just everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on your doorstep, you know, exactly. Mm. And uh, and so I think. Uh, taking these I think a lot of that knowledge has been lost and so how do you rediscover it it could be through a shamanic tradition it could be through working with ayahuasca or tobacco or, or something that that begins to kind of open the doorway I think probably in these lands maybe working with mushrooms mm-hmm. and and it but also one doesn't necessarily have to work with those kind of master plants or power plants, but, but really beginning to develop a connection. And, and I think always in the beginning, like finding just a few plants that resonate with you and, and plants that are, that are near you, whether that's dandelion or nettle or, like I was saying, oak, you know, hawthorn. Uh, you know, I was walking down the street here in Edinburgh, and I like came across this little bookshop, and they, they had this beautiful old herbal book on herbal medicine. And you know, that knowledge is there. It's it's uh, you can find it in books, you can find it online. Uh, luckily, there's still I think herbal practitioners who, who have some of that knowledge of like what are these plants good for. And, and I think once once you develop a little bit of that base knowledge because I think that also is important because like, that's where tradition comes from like you know it's not like we have to reinvent the wheel like <laughs> there are people yeah, yeah. there are people who know about these things and so really honoring that and learning like what have countless generations found these plants are useful for and then as you begin to discover that beginning to work with those plants and then you can find your own connection because that's the other fascinating thing is is a plant can be used for, to, to treat very different things depending on the connection that that person has with the plant. Um, so, you know, th- there's amazing medicine everywhere, but but I don't think we actually need to look very far. Uh, it's not like we need to order, like, Amazonian plants or, um, you know, even something like tobacco. You can find everywhere going to a... Maybe there's still like a tobacconist and, and just buying some real tobacco, like, like organic, no no chemicals, no additives. Um, just burning that, beginning to develop a relationship with that. Some people feel called to smoke a pipe, or maybe um, you know, uh, if that resonates, uh, mm-hmm. because that 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 can be a way I think to, to begin to develop a deeper relationship. But but it can be just through drinking these plants as teas, beginning to work with uh, making like uh, syrups from them. Like when I was in Ireland, I saw elderberry syrup and mm. it was amazing. It was, it was beautiful. It's beginning to, to, to ingest these plants, it, using them as food, uh, making like hawthorn berry wine or hawthorn berry tincture, mm. hawthorn yeah. flowers. And, and, and it, I really think wherever we are, and that, that's a that's a Native American saying that, that I remember as a kid is like wherever you are, that's the medicine you need. Uh, I remember as a kid, I, I used to get poison ivy, and mm. and, and I didn't realize in, until many years later that the remedy for poison ivy uh, 
is, is almost always uh, growing right next to it. <laughs> and it sounds so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes we have to really realize the obvious to see that like everything we need is right there. This is more it's finding out what, what you connect with uh, first and foremost and if it's in your garden or if it's in the path next to your house uh, then that's really where best to look here. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, and it, going back to that idea of, of the intelligence of plants and nature which again I, I know may sound a little crazy but whether you believe in God or some divine intelligence or just nothing spiritual at all, just this, this immense power that created this universe, that's flowing through all of life and those, those nettle that are popping up around your house, they're popping up there for a reason. Mm -hmm. The soil is ripe for them, the, the sun is perfect for them, the, the rain is perfect. So that plant is, is meant to be in that environment. And if you're in that environment, then that plant is meant to be there for you. It's, it's, there's a symbiotic relationship. And, um, so really, that's kind of the idea of beginning to open our eyes and to really see, to really smell, to really feel like what's around us. I think a lot of people are realizing that. Also this idea of like eating local, like not only is it good for the environment, it's good for you. <laughs> and it's there, it's, it's saying hello, I'm here. So, great. Okay, well thanks very much for your time today, Jason. I appreciate everything, uh, all the knowledge that you've, you've shared. So thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Ken. Thank good. you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Thank you very much to Jason there. Uh, I'm sure you, as much as I did, really enjoyed that uh, little chat with him. It's amazing to think just how many plants are around us and we often just take them for granted. So uh, probably the message I would like to leave you with today is just to open your eyes, look around you and see what's growing, whether it be in your garden, whether it be in the pavements outside or maybe the road as you walk to work or wherever. So pay attention, open your eyes, uh, plants are everywhere. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much for listening and hopefully I'll be back with another episode uh, very soon. I don't know when but stay tuned. Thanks very much.